today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. to a man last night. His, his great desire was that our nation come together because we're so divided and we are a divided nation. And his message was one that says, man, I, I just want our nation to come together in unity and unity is so necessary for our nation. But one of the things that I shared with him last night is that unity without truth does no one any good. And you see, Jesus understood man without the truth nothing else matters the message of unity being proclaimed and pushed by so many in our society is certainly appealing it sounded like a good thing and it can be but as pastor david explains in today's message there is a caveat a unity that denies the truth is bound for failure to have lasting unity we must be drawn together in the truth of the gospel True peace and unity can only be from the inside out as we are transformed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Spitting in the Face of God. So he executed John the Baptist. And Herod was also, his position was, in essence, he was the boss over Pilate. He was the ruler over the entire region. And since Rome didn't really care for Pilate, Herod didn't really care for Pilate e either. And, and, and it, it's so interesting, though, that these two who actually had been enemies for so long are now becoming friends when they both hate the same thing. They're both focused on the hatred of the Jews. They're both focused now on the hatred of Christ. And as they come together, even Herod, though he had a Jewish background, he didn't like the Jews. And now, because Jesus wouldn't jump to his commands, wouldn't entertain him, they mocked him and they sent him back to Pilate. Back to Pilate's courts again. And so Pilate calls back for the Jewish leadership to come back in. Look at verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, you've brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. And no, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. But I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. It would have been so easy for Pilate to have released Jesus at that point in time. 
Since you guys are bringing him to the secular court, you're bringing these charges against him. We've questioned him. We find no fault in this man. We're going to release him. I'm going to wash my hands of this situation. But what he and the Jewish leadership really never understood was that God had a greater plan that was being worked out even through them. The Jews would not have allowed Jesus to go free. They would have had none of that. They were out for blood, and they wouldn't be satisfied until it was the blood of Jesus. And how ironic is that? They wanted the blood of Jesus, but not for its cleansing power not for its ability to forgive their sins, but they wanted the blood of Jesus in order to get rid of his message and hopefully the conviction that he himself was probably bringing on those who were so caught up in religion and yet by their very acts continued to spit in the face of God. It says in verse 18, they all cried, the Jewish leaders and all the people, they all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And Luke explains there that Barabbas was one who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them. But they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then he said to them the third time, why, what evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priest prevailed. Catch that if you would. That the voices of these men and the chief priest prevailed. They prevailed over truth. They prevailed over justice. They even prevailed over the civil authority that was there. In all of their anger and in the midst of all of their sin, the voices of these men prevailed over what would have been right, what had been the righteous thing to do. They continued to cry out. And verse 24 says, so Pilate gave, gave sentence that it should be as they requested. So in other words, Pilate said, Execute him, then execute him, then just execute him. He's an innocent man, but because the voices of man prevailed over righteousness, Pilate said, execute him. And Pilate released to them Barabbas, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. On one hand, we see that, that, that Pilate really didn't want to crucify Jesus. But in, God, in John's gospel record, we find out that Pilate had this continual back and forth, this, this vacillation of whether he should crucify Jesus or whether he should let him go. Should I uh, go ahead and treat him as a common criminal and a murderer or should I do the right thing and let this innocent man go back and forth? And we find in John's gospel record almost a, a physical action of this going in and seeing Jesus realizing that he was an innocent man and then going out and speaking with the Jews and realizing this is not going well. This is not going the way I want it to go. I'm going to have to crucify this man. Turn with me, if you would, to the gospel record of John in chapter 18. 
John chapter 18. We're not gonna go through all of these verses just simply due to the time, but to give you an idea of, and, and to help you understand what's going on in this man's mind as he's dealing with the very son of God, the innocent lamb of God, and yet these charges and the vehement uh, attack that these Jewish leaders were bringing against Christ. There in John chapter 18, as Jesus stood before Pilate there in the praetorium, the Jewish leaders could not go into the praetorium there where Pilate was because they didn't want to defile themselves there during the Passover time. So they were outside while Pilate and Jesus were inside. And in verse 29, Pilate then left from being inside and he went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would have not delivered him up to you. Now look down in verse 33. So Pilate leaving the Jews, he then entered the praetorium again. He goes in now. And he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? In other words, Pilate, do you really want to know? Is this something you really desire in your heart to know? Am I truly the Messiah? Is that the question you're asking me? Or are you simply asking me about the charge that's being brought against me? Jesus tells him in verse 37, for this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth, Pilate, hears my voice. But down in verse 20, there in verse 28, Pilate then says to him, what is truth? But you see, the problem is, is Pilate had long since laid truth aside and worshiped comfort and worshiped, again, the idea of, of, of coming alongside and getting along with. I spoke to a man last night. His, his great desire was that our nation come together because we're so divided, and we are a divided nation. And his message was one that says, man, I, I just want our nation to come together in unity, and unity is so necessary for our nation. But one of the things that I shared with him last night is that unity without truth does no one any good. And you see, Jesus understood, man, without the truth, nothing else matters. Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate really didn't care because before Jesus even answered, the very truth that stood before him, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life standing before him, Pilate asked the question, but then it says there in verse 38 that when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. And as he went out again to the Jews, he declared once again, I find no fault in him at all. Then we move into chapter 19 there in John. And in verse one, it says, then he went back in. Then Pilate took Jesus. He scourged him and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. And then Pilate went out again to the Jews and said to them, behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And down in verse seven, it says, and the Jews answered him, oh, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was even more afraid. 
And he went back into the Praetorium again. And he said to Jesus, where are you from? I don't think he was really worried about the fact of whether he was from Galilee or, or, or Jew, wherever he was at that point in time. I believe that he was trying to figure out who is this guy? That these Jews would be so against him at this point in time. But Jesus gave him no answer. And verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, went back out to the Jews, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king, a king speaks against Caesar. And as soon as Pilate heard that, he knew he was in trouble. Now it's insurrection. And the Jews are saying that Pilate himself is not a friend of Caesar's because he's going to allow this man who declares himself as a king, he's going to allow him to live. And as soon as that got to Rome, Pilate knew that he was in trouble. So in verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he then brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that's called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And that's when we get back to what Luke tells us, that he gave him over to their will. He delivered Jesus to their will. So much can be said about the situation Pilate found himself in there. You see, Pilate had a position, but he had no authority. Pilate had a throne, but he had no rule. Pilate had a voice, but he had no real say-so in this manner because he wasn't willing to stand on the truth, the truth that he knew, that this was an innocent man. He was more afraid of the voice of the people than he was of God. You see, the problem is, is our world is still like that. We're more afraid of what other people will think about us than what God thinks about us. We're more afraid of how people will uh, 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 see us and understand us to be than how God knows us to be. So rather than living lives in repentance and humility before man and God, we continue to put on charades and facades, pretending to be something that we're really not in order that we might please man. And all the time we move in actions and attitudes Sometimes, yes, even as Christians, I wonder how many times we spit in the face of God. All in all, Pontius Pilate was a pitiable man. The record of his existence was all but wiped out by the Romans. The only reliable statement we have about Pilate's life after this time in Judea comes from Josephus, that, that early Jewish historian, as he writes in the Antiquities of the Jews, written about 60 years after these events. Josephus tells us that Pilate was recalled to Rome after a mishandling of a riot that involved some Samaritans about three years after this in, in 36 A.D., and he was supposed to go and stand before Emperor uh, Tiberius at that point in time. And again, Tiberius at that point, had, 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 he was the one that put him in that position. And so Pilate tried to hurry to Rome. But before he got to Rome, Tiberius actually died and Caligula became the ruler at that point. And at that point in time, we hear nothing else at all about Pilate. Rome wiped all memory of Pilate 
away. That's what they did in those days. You did a bad job, they're gonna take everything that's got your name and they're gonna erase it. They're gonna take a, a white marker, you know, and just delete, hit delete, delete, delete. They're gonna remove you. And for years, historians use that understanding that we can't find anything historically in, in secular history of a man named Pontius Pilate who lived during that time. So truly, the, the, the Bible can't be true. It's, it's made up, it's fairy tales. Because the things that you say are true and real, we can't find them historically. Well, that was true all until 1961. And then in 1961, some archeologists headed by a fellow by the name of Dr. Antonio Frova. They were excavating in an ancient Roman uh, theater near Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea Maritima is Caesarea by the sea, the city of Caesarea where uh, the, the Roman leaders and the rulers over that region, they would spend many and, and most of the summer time there because it was by the sea and they had beautiful pools there right by the sea, just a, a great place. Well, they were excavating that site back in 1961 and suddenly they uncovered a limestone stone, large stone, and it was about this size or so. And on that stone were actually the words Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. Stone itself was actually believed by these archaeologists that they had used that stone, they'd kind of recycled that stone and had flipped it over on the backside and, and used it to make a staircase. And it wasn't until they had undug that area and turned that stone over that they saw the markings that Pilate's name was actually real and true even though they didn't have it in their historical records, it was there. And again, now we understand, I, I fully understand, we look at that stone and we think, man, how exciting is that? And we understand though that that stone doesn't prove the conversation between Pilate and Jesus ever happened, I understand that. The inscription on it, it doesn't prove that Pilate condemned Jesus to be crucified. That inscription, that declaration, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Rome, that, that doesn't prove the possibility of the forgiveness of man's sin through, through the death of Christ. But that inscription does support the historic reliability of our scriptures. It's interesting to me that man might say, we, we've never heard of that city. We've never heard of that individual. We've never seen that place. Historically, we don't see that. And yet archaeologists through time and time and time again, suddenly they find the remains of that city. Oh, well, yeah, I guess there really was a Sodom. We, we found the remains of the city. Oh, I, I guess there really was a, a, a king called David. We find, again, uh, uh, plaques and names with David on the city of David. And over and over again, archaeology is declaring the historicity, the, the, the proof, the validity of your scripture. And it's interesting to me to note that nowhere in all of archeology span have they found something that disproves the Bible. I can say, I don't believe this book all day long. And then all of a sudden they start digging and they find one thing that shows, no, whoa, that's, that, ooh, that was actually in there. And they dig some more, and, oh, they find another. Oh, that was in there too. Beloved, when we know that the Bible is true and we understand the truth of God's word that's given to us through the Bible, 
then we understand that it's the Bible where we see that those that reject Jesus as the Messiah, they reject God's only plan of salvation because salvation isn't available through any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The word of God declares there is only one way and there's no middle ground. But yet man continues to stand in rebellion. Man continues to spit in the face of God because they don't believe it. Or they do come to that point, perhaps, oh, I don't believe that, but maybe there is something to it. Maybe I, I, I believe in the love of God and maybe I believe that the message of Christ is given, but in essence, like Herod, it's, it's only for entertainment. Maybe it's, it's good morals. Yeah, yo, I believe people ought to read the Bible because there's good stories in there. There's good morals, kind of like Aesop's fables, and so it's a good thing. But you know what? That's not a saving thing. Because in that, we can dismiss ourselves from any responsibility before God because the word of God is much more than that. When Pilate delivered Jesus to the will of the people, he tried to step away from any responsibility before God. And yet he was still privy to the truth of the message of Christ. He tried to wash his hands of the whole thing, but the truth of God's word continues to tell us that all men everywhere will one day stand before God and give an account. And Pilate, you tried to wash your hands, but you might have washed your hands, but you did not wash your sin away. We can either stand on our own and face the wrath of God, or we can fall on Christ. But we are not, and we cannot be neutral. Hebrews 9 tells us Christ has paid our penalty. He's come to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin and for salvation. Beloved, you cannot be neutral. You've got to have that determination. You don't know the number of days. And just like a man who would be blindfolded, not knowing when or from what direction the strike may come, you don't know what tomorrow is. You don't know what this afternoon is. And if you've not given your heart and life to Christ, you don't know when you're going to stand in the judgment of an almighty and an all-righteous God. And when you stand before him, you cannot stand on your own. You have only one plea that's available to you. And that's the plea of guilty as charged, but my Jesus paid it all. See, rejecting the claim, rejecting the claim of his love and of his payment, we literally spit in the face of God. And when we do that, we seal our condemnation. We seal our fate for all eternity. Wouldn't it be better if you received his love and knew his truth? And as his child, walk in obedience. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. 
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to theopenword.com and click on the teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to theopenword.com and select the teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.